because I was thinking if I went part-time, how long would it take me to complete with two kids? I might as well just, and I was already struggling financially anyway, so what was a little bit more struggle? You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What up, Black and Blue fan? Welcome to the latest edition of the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. Y'all know me. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for dropping in by today because I got a real good one for you. But first, hey, let me ask you to please click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. And uh, if you listen to me on your favorite podcast platform of choice, make sure you rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And finally, Make sure you check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so with that out the way, let me introduce today's guest. She is a recently retired senior prosecutor for the district attorney's office up in Central California. She is also a renowned public speaker and consultant. So everybody, let's give a warm Black and Blue welcome to Fresno County Senior uh, prosecutor, recently retired, Miko Anderson. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm doing very good. How are you doing? I'm excellent on this Saturday morning. Thank you for asking. So what's going on up there in uh, in Fresno County, which is uh, it's about, what, three hours from maybe four hour drive from uh, L.A. County? Right. About that, about three and a half, depending on where you're going. And yeah. Fresno is uh, Fresno is Fresno. It's right now pretty calm. I'm not, you know, recently retired, so I'm not in the mix to know all the details. But there's a lot of stuff happening in Fresno because we're, where we're located. So we always see yeah. a lot. So that's that's Central California. That's how far from from the Bay are you? The same, about three and a half, three, three and a so half. Smack dab in the middle, smack dab in the middle. Right. Yep. And Fresno is famed for you know, Fresno State, which is uh, usually a pretty good uh, football and, and basketball team, um, you know, Division One. So, all right, right there in the, in the mix. Right, right. All right and so. Fresno Ag, because there's a big agriculture um, culture here. So Fresno Ag yes. is pretty famous. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, hey, so I thank you for coming on to the show. We'll, we'll talk all about that. Um, as, a, as a recently retired uh, senior district attorney, uh, what uh, – what kind of things are you getting into nowadays? Well, uh, again, thank you for um, having me. And it's so funny to be called retired because it just happens so fast. Like, the, yeah, the, how long have you been retired? I wasn't now? at the. I retired in July, so it's been what four months? It's been four months. Um, so, thank you, thank you for that. And it was a little bit unexpected. I got an opportunity that I couldn't pass up, so I just retired out to take this other opportunity. Um, 
And it has been the best thing. I think one of the things that, especially in law enforcement, no matter what like role you have in law enforcement, that you don't realize is the amount of stress and pressure that you have when you're in the job, doing the job day to day. And being retired, I'm able to take a deep breath and see exactly how much that was. So it's been um, it's been a great retirement these four months. Absolutely. So how, how long were you with the uh, DA's office? Um, a little over 16 years. So I retired kind of early. So a little over 16 years. Okay, but they were 16 right. dog years, though. I have to put that in there <laughs> because the bulk of my assignments were either gangs, domestic violence, human trafficking, sexual assault, some version of all three. So um, so the chronological date does not like reflect what the impact was because it was heavy assignments for the majority of my time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out here in San Bernardino County. We talked about that uh, before uh, we, we got the show rolling. And uh, when I go to the, you know, to court and those DAs over there, it seemed like they are all overworked. They got caseloads, you know, yay high. And it's just like, you know, all day long. And it's, was it kind of like that in Fresno? Yeah. And I think it's like that nationwide, every office that I speak to, anytime I speak to somebody from different offices, East coast, West coast, doesn't matter. There's like a labor shortage, especially with law enforcement, but it trickles over to the DA's offices too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've got in the San Bernardino County DA, they got the, you know, volunteer DAs and all sorts of different levels of, you know, trying to get people through the door and, and, and work these cases. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I never heard of a volunteer DA, so you're going to have to pay me, but I appreciate that. But a volunteer DA, I, that's a lot of work, unless you're doing like a limited, narrow scope of work. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they are. I don't know what you know their roles are exactly, but you know they're probably you know people that get some extra money, maybe recently retired that are coming back in. Maybe, maybe they maybe, get, maybe. Yeah, maybe. yeah. That's help true public service. Yeah, true. I'm sorry. That's true public service. True public that, service. That is. That is. That is. All right. So, so are you originally from uh, Fresno County, or where, where are you from? I am from Oakland. Um, born and raised in Oakland. I didn't move out to Fresno County. I only came out here for um, the job once I got out of law school. So, and I wasn't planning on staying as long as I did. Um, but yeah, originally I'm from Oakland, California. Okay. And what was kind of your life up there in, in Oakland? Well, um, it was typical in my community. So I grew up as um, an only child, but um, in the era that I grew up, like Jack, like crack was really very prevalent in, in my community. So um, my mother was addicted. I had family members that were addicted. So I grew up in that kind of a environment where we kind of dealt with all of the plight that came with being in a drug infested neighborhood that was kind of low income at poverty um, issues and uh, poor education systems. So that was the area that I grew up in. Um, I was raised by my grandmother because of others' uh, struggles uh, with substance abuse. And um, from there, I'm, I loved Oakland. I stayed in Oakland forever. All my friends are still there uh, for the most part. And went to uh, law school. I went ultimately as a single parent. I eventually got divorced. I went as a single parent in law school, graduated, and then decided to come out here to do prosecution. Okay. All right. Where, where'd you do your undergrad? Um, at Laney College. It's a community college there. Okay. And uh, so then you decided to go into law. What what kind of piqued your interest there? Oh, so it was um, one of those things I was, because I entered kind of later in life. I was 29 and I was working for the phone company and I had both kids at the time. So my daughter maybe was 
three and my son had to be like under one. So they were smaller children. And I was working for the phone wow. company and I had this crazy routine where I would drive from Hayward, which was about like 20 minutes from Oakland to drop off one child in Oakland. And then I would drive uh, back to Hayward to drop off my son because of the way the hours that the daycare opened, I couldn't drop him off first. And then I would drive from there to work which was in San Ramon. So it took me like a two hour trek for like a probably wow. 30, 30 minute commute, right? Every day. And so one day I came in and I had just did this routine and I was exhausted and I was running late. And when I walked in um, and I'm huffing and puffing, trying to make it up the steps or whatever. And when I walked in, the manager at the time was standing at this big glass door with a clipboard. And I literally am like, out of breath trying to make sure I can clock in before the clock strikes zero. And she just checked me off as tardy. And when that happened, I was like, this cannot be what I'm supposed to be doing because I put too much effort to be just, just regulated like that. So it's so funny on that day. Um, and mind you, I had no backup plan, no, no savings, no nothing. And two kids. Um, I had this, um, Les Brown. I don't know if you heard of Les Brown. Yeah, I have. Yep. Okay. The motivational speaker. So I had his mm -hmm. book at my desk and I opened it up to some random page. I was like, let me open it up. God, you better get me out here. Let me open it up. So <laughs> I opened it up and it was like a, a passage that said, and I'm paraphrasing now because it was so many years ago, but it was like, don't sit on the edge of the pool. If you're going to enjoy life, jump in fully and completely and don't delay what you need to do, that kind of thing. So I was like, okay, so it's time to leave. So I typed up my two weeks notice and um, turned it in and decided to go back to school at that point. Oh, wow. Wow. Went in with all, all the uh, both feet and everything. Just jumped right into that pool. I, huh? did. I was yeah. like, you know what? Because I was thinking if I went part-time, how long would it take me to complete with two kids? I might as well just, and I was already struggling financially anyway. So what was a little bit more struggle? Um, so just to, to go in and figure it out. Right. Right. And I'm sure you had some support to help out with the kids during that time. Cause that, that couldn't have been easy. It wasn't easy. And I did, I had like, uh, family members, my family's really small though. So, I had my mom and my grandmother, but remember my mom still had her addiction and it was still alive and kicking. So she's clean and sober now. But um, so she wasn't as much of a help as I needed. But, you know, when you want to do something, you figure out a way. There's always yep. a way. So. Yep. Yep. And then you graduated. And and, and what uh, what kind of piqued your interest to go into uh, criminal defense, not criminal defense, uh, prosecution as opposed to criminal defense or, you know, sports attorney or or real estate law or anything like that? I did an internship when I was in law school at the local DA's office. And I sat in on a preliminary hearing um, of a domestic violence victim testifying. And I knew then that I didn't want to be in a position that I felt wasn't opposed to a victim, not anything against uh, criminal defense attorneys, but personally, I didn't want to be in that position. So that piqued my interest in prosecution and then that was coupled with an experience that I had had years earlier uh, with an en encounter with law enforcement that I didn't feel was handled, um, taken as seriously as it should have been. And so those two things kind of pushed me toward uh, prosecution. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we, we have a, a love hate 
relationship between law enforcement and, and prosecutors and DA's offices. We always, you know, uh, police officers always think, you know, that it's the DA's office who turns down these cases. And, you know, you, you guys have your own criteria of, of what uh, meets, uh, what's going to make a, a good prosecution on a case. So c- kind of talk about that process of what you see when you get, when you get reports in from, from law enforcement agencies. Sure. So the way it worked, and I'm sure your viewers know, just that when an incident happened and law enforcement is called, law enforcement responds and they gather all the evidence, talk to victims, talk to witnesses, take pictures, get any video, and then submit all the evidence that they gather related to that incident and the crimes that they think have been committed and submit to the DA's office for the DA's office to make the decision whether or not they'll press charges or not. So when we get the evidence, um, normally now it's a digital file and we'll just review it and go in and determine whether or not enough evidence is gathered. And sometimes it's really difficult because you might need more evidence, but the person can only stay in custody a certain amount of days before that decision is made. So you have to make a decision. Do you have enough to file, even though you might still need further investigation? And for me, I always erred on the side of if I have enough evidence to support probable cause, just the ethical standard to file um, enough evidence to support the charges. We can further investigate and get more evidence. But is it sufficient to file? So I would make that that decision. And like I said, it would be with human trafficking, domestic violence, those kind of cases. Yeah. Yeah. You were dealing with more serious kind of cases anyway. Yeah. And and the risk that if someone gets out because you don't have the ideal case, the harm that that poses to the victim is so great. If you have what's legally sufficient to file and you can in good faith file, then I really feel that the obligation is to file because you can never really have an ideal case. Like it sometimes it takes time for the investigation to happen. But um, if you have enough where you can, um, you know, fulfill the requirements to file the case, then I err on the side of filing it. And it's basically in those cases for victim protection. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you, um, as a as a prosecutor, a former prosecutor, do you see, uh, you know, differences in what counties will prosecute and what they won't? I know you hear and see all over social media about, you know, what won't get prosecuted in say another county that's kind of west of me, uh, you know, LA, we won't say, but you, know, you, you hear those sorts of things, uh, you know, and, and that's for a number of reasons, you know, criminal justice reform, um, all sorts of, uh, you know, prison reform and jail reform and all those overcrowding and all that sort of stuff. You know, are there decisions that are made about what, uh, what won't be prosecuted, even though it's, you know, out there as, as a crime that's been, uh, that's been committed? Um, For the most part, I know in our county, we didn't have those kind of like political considerations, but I do know, and this is kind of like the systemic institutionalized disparities that happen. I do feel that a lot of times that when people of color are victimized, sometimes those those crimes aren't prosecuted to the full extent. I, not to say that any one particular agency does it, but I think that there's a lot of, a lack of cultural competence when it comes to that and a lack of understanding what a traumatized victim uh, may, uh, how they may appear. So sometimes that may cause some kind of delay in prosecution or not fully understanding like the impact of the case. So I think that is something that always needs to be looked at because not everybody appears the typical way you think a victim appears. And if if the person making that decision is too connected to what they think 
a victim's responses, then you're not doing justice to to certain victims. So I do think that's something that always needs to be looked at. And for me, it was one of the things that that drove me. I just wanted to make sure that everyone receives the same justice as everyone else. So no matter how you said it, no matter what you wore, no matter where you were at, if a crime occurred and you were victimized by it, you had the same process as everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. What what's the role of a DA's office if uh if an agency that you feel didn't didn't want to investigate a crime fully and it comes to light that uh that maybe some things were overlooked in an investigation? Uh what's the DA's role in that? Can can the DA's you know, send their own investigators out to to complete an investigation and and make their own charges and all that? For us, yeah, for sure. We have uh, sworn peace officers as investigators. So a lot of times some of the follow-up, like with that example of a new case that came in and maybe there's follow-up investigation that needs to happen, we would assign it to a DA investigator sometimes. Sometimes it would be the law enforcement agency, sometimes not. And the DA investigator would then go out, do further interviews and gather information and sometimes be witnesses in the cases and and play that that same role yeah absolutely so you you mentioned that you you were in a a number of assignments uh that you were over there in fresno county da's office what what was your favorite i think my favorite and my most difficult was a human trafficking assignment yeah 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 and why is that because the um impact that it has on those victims is just so huge it's so devastating and there was such a misconception early on on how law enforcement treated those victims so we had a lot of learning to do a lot of trust to to rebuild um and then on top of that those victims also tended to be the most vulnerable so um there were a lot of things at play so the impact and the vulnerability and then the systematic stuff um and then the complexity of the legal case because i really like um i like that kind of chessboard type of uh prosecution so um that probably would make it my favorite assignment explain to the to the audience what human trafficking is because i think uh it's expanded over the years and a lot of people maybe have the misconception it's more smuggling but it's it's not you know something that you would see you know border patrol handle what what is human trafficking oh for sure human trafficking is the um there's two two different types so there's labor trafficking and there's sex trafficking and they're both human trafficking so sex trafficking is when you force another person to enter into a commercial sex act and that person who is forcing is doing it for their financial benefit and labor trafficking it's the same exact uh, theme that you're forcing a person to commit uh to either provide some type of labor or service against their will and it's for the benefit of that trafficker so it has nothing to do with where they are or or you know borders or anything like that and one of the things too is that the force doesn't have to be physical violent force it can be coercive psychological force and that's the one that i found to be the most common yeah absolutely and uh since fresno has a large agricultural community you would see a lot of the labor as well right we do have a lot of labor trafficking that's reported from those uh, non-governmental agencies. So like the victim services organizations that help directly with the people who were being trafficked. Unfortunately, there still was a hurdle in getting those reports over to law enforcement for prosecution. 
because a lot of times those victims may be undocumented, they may be migrants, they may have so many other concerns when it comes to law enforcement, they don't want to report. So making that connection to let them know that it's safe to report um, is one of the hurdles that I think everybody uh, is still trying to work around. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the flip side, what was uh, kind of your least favorite assignment? Um, I had an assignment where I had two least favorite assignments. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I had an assignment where I had to travel to Colinga, which was about an hour and a half away from Fresno. And it was, you know, in order to be to court at eight, I had to be on the road by six o'clock because I had to pick up my files and it was just an ugly assignment. It was just, it was just, um, difficult, like the practical part of it, especially as a single parent in Fresno County, it was just too much. So I didn't, I really didn't like that assignment just for the practicals. It wasn't the assignment, the logistics was really what I didn't like. And then the other assignment that I had that I can say I really enjoyed was, um, DUI court where we had um, repeat offenders of uh, who were in different DUIs and they would come back for reviews. And it was great when you saw somebody really deal with like an alcohol issue and get rehabilitated and become clean and sober. The part that was difficult about that assignment is that there were so many repeat offenders and so many people placed at risk because they were out getting treatment, but then they pick up another DUI. And normally the people in that program, because of the requirements, had really severe um, alcohol issues like point, you know, three twos and, and could really do a lot of damage on the road. So that one felt a little bit like, a, like, you know how you have a endless onslaught of cases that yeah. just doesn't stop. That, that was the one that felt a little bit like you, no matter what you did, you weren't making a real difference with it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find the same with the, uh, with drug crimes as well? I do the, the part, the issue that I have with, um, drug prosecution is that there just doesn't ever seem to be enough resources. We no. try to find resources and refer people to treatment, but in actuality, when they come back and they say that they're still, you know, refer them to organization A, but then there's a waiting list to get in, or they, you know, it's not convenient. So there just doesn't seem to be enough meaningful, like ways to treat the issue. So that's the part of drug court, because a lot of it, a lack of resources, especially somebody who's in like a real struggle with substances, sometimes you have a small window where you can get in there and really make some help. So those delays mean a lot. So that was one of the difficulties that I had with, with drug courts and the fact that the same happened with mental health. So if there was yes. a person with a dual diagnosis, the difficulty in finding them meaningful resources, you can find resources like based on paper, but meaningful resources was sometimes difficult to find. Absolutely. I know you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, after law school, you got the job in Fresno County and you, you didn't expect to stay down there as long as you did. Do you ever have any aspirations to go back up to, to Oakland and, and uh, practice up there? No, no, I've kind of let that <laughs> no, go. I think, no. um, <laughs> I think, Oakland, because every time I go back, it's not the same Oakland as when I left. And I had to finally accept that. Like I romanticized Oakland from growing up there. But when I go back and visit, it's not the same place. And it's really a heartbreaking place to see because there's yeah. so much homelessness and you see 
like the fallout of all the drug issues. And it's it's a difficult place to um, to visit, especially when you remember it from your childhood. So I don't have any intentions on going back. I still have family and friends there, but I don't think I'd go back to live. Yeah. E forty and T and too short make it a, a little romanticized, but uh, <laughs> that's that's just on the in the in music and the videos when you get up there. So it's a whole different story. And it's unfortunate because they they lost a lot of their sports teams, all their sports teams. Uh, the A's just went to Vegas too. So yeah, yeah, everything is gone. And I heard the WNBA was supposed to send a team to take the spot that the Warriors had at the Oracle. Um, that they were going to get a WNBA team for for that. So that might be some hope, but everything. And it doesn't make sense to me when I think about it because Oakland didn't have really any major retail. Everything you bought, you bought in the surrounding cities. There were always smaller stores, but in the surrounding cities. So there was um, very few places. So it just seems like the infrastructure just collapsed. Yeah. Has there been a lot of flight from from Oakland as well, as far as the uh, the, the residency and, and and businesses? From from my understanding, because the the price uh, the market has gotten so high, because so many people overflow from San Francisco because their market is so high, pushed yeah. other people out of the East Bay. So yeah, so it's been kind of like a triple effect, and you can see it with more people from the Bay Area here in Fresno. Yeah, what's what's life like in Fresno? It, it's grown a lot. Um, what 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 are the the larger the the main cities out there in Fresno County? We got Fresno and and what else? Fresno, Clovis. Um, there's some right. other cities that those are two, the two bigger cities, and then there's small is Visalia, cities around. Is Visalia in Fresno Visalia County? Visalia is in Tulare. I'm sorry, it's in Tulare County. Okay, but that's close by. It is like forty-five minute drive. Okay, okay, yeah. So uh, I'm sure Fresno's grown over the years that uh, that you've been there. What uh, what's kind of your favorite part about being in, in Fresno County? Really, that it's centrally located. So if I need to get to Southern California or go back to the Bay Area, it's a little bit easier, and you can get to the coast pretty easy. Um, that pretty much it. The housing costs historically have been low, but they're kind of going up now too. So um, that used to yep. be exactly, exactly. That used to be a benefit. Um, still is, I guess, relative to the Bay, but not as much as it used to be. So, so that kind of thing. And then I've made, you know, connections and, and friendships. And so kind of planted some roots here unintentionally, but did. Yeah. <laughs> you there now? <laughs> you are a, a, what do they call you a, Fres a Fresnite or what? I don't know. No. A Fresnoian. No, yeah. I'm still from yeah. Oakland. I'm still from oh. Oakland. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I know uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you know you uh, you retired because you you got a, an opportunity that you couldn't turn down. So let's talk about what the, what you're doing now in retirement. Okay, sure. Um, so there are two different tracks. So the opportunity that I received is with this. Uh, incredible organization that trains prosecutors and law enforcement agencies and allied partners on how to prosecute and investigate gender-based violent crimes. So sexual assault, domestic violence, human trafficking, stalking, um, those type of crimes. And we train um, agencies globally. And so I could not pass that up. 
we do one-on-one -on -one consultations uh, that's available, but we also do consultations or trainings that are tailored to whatever that particular organization needs. So it, it doesn't matter. And we work with a team of um, experts, subject matter experts in a lot of those areas. So um, that was the opportunity that I, that I couldn't pass up. And the name of that organization is Equitas. And the beauties of that is because we're grant funded federally and private grants that the agencies um, who receive the training don't have to pay the cost of uh, the training being created or the presentation, uh, the, you know, the, the wages for presentation. So there's no cost associated with that. Uh, they may have to pay things like travel costs, but those are the kind of things that can be worked out. Um, so that was something that was really important. And they're based out of D.C., so I get to now go and train um, all over. So so that's right up my alley because that's what I have been doing privately. So the other part of what I do is privately as a consultant, I've been doing trainings and professional development, leadership development, particularly working with um, now my focus is working with schools on some of uh, the things that they need to do for uh, exploitation prevention, uh, self-care for educators, student leadership, that type of thing, and then working with organizations. And one of the things that I had, um, the, uh, it really was like a tremendous experience to do a workshop with uh, some correctional officers in the state of Indiana and we did a, a workshop that really focused on um, self-care and it was more from the from the perspective of a public servant because i don't think that anyone who's not a public servant and police they have it at a whole different level because you have on top of everything else you have a heightened level of just physical safety that yep. as a da you know i had that concern too but not to the degree that a police officer has it but um to do a public servant kind of um, self-care workshops and give everybody a chance to kind of close out all the concerns that we always have about community and victims and how to connect and how to you know stop juveniles down the pipeline all these very important things that public service and law enforcement officers you know deal with all the time and simply focus on the the person themselves and how they can um, make sure that they have a wellness program that allows them to do all that stuff and not, you know, burn out and, and leave the profession. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how's that working out for you that those ventures, both those ventures? Oh, oh absolutely. Great. I, I, I could not have asked for it to happen any better. Um, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, how, how did I, how did I get so lucky? So, um, yeah. it, it's probably the best thing. Yeah. That, yep. So you kind of left the, uh, the, uh, the law behind and you're kind of, kind of working in the same kind of vein there, but a little differently. Do you have any aspirations to maybe return back to law at any point? No, I think I have, I can comfortably say that I did my best in that role for a very long time. So I don't feel like I have anything left. Like I could still, um, perform. But I feel comfortable saying that I know that I, I was really good trial lawyer. Um, I handled complicated cases. Uh, you know, I did everything, got the accolades, did all that stuff. And it's just like a graduation. Sometimes you just want it's time to do something a little bit different. And I feel this lane gives me the ability to impact 
um, more prosecutors and more law enforcement to kind of carry that torch forward. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let me, let me ask you this real quick. Cause I know some, some, uh, officers that after they retired, they went to go work for public defenders offices, uh, as investigators or what have you. And, you know, you always got that, you know, you, you went to go work for the dark side. Would, would you ever consider, uh, I know you did, you did, you did speak earlier about, you know, nothing against public defenders, but they are a necessary, I won't say evil, they're a necessary cog in the, in the criminal justice wheel. Everyone talks, you know, everyone hates a public defender until you need one, right? Right. Right. And I have nothing against public defenders. Uh, as a legal expert, I would be opening, open to whoever hired me for a consultation. So that part wouldn't change because normally the facts and the law, they kind of are what they are. So you have to interpret it as you will. As far as being a defense attorney, that's a, a leap I probably wouldn't make just because of just where I'm dispositioned. I don't think I would make it, but there's nothing against it. And, and I have great relationships with a bunch of defense attorneys. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing I, I see going to courthouses, you know, the the DAs and the, and the PDAs, you know, they, they're cordial and talking to one another. And then, you know, when this come, comes time to their course, their uh, court case getting called, you know, they, you know, they they're professional. And, you know, and they, it's not like you see in, in TV and movies is what I'm getting at, where, you know, they're, they're yelling at each other and they hate each other and, you know, they want to put hits out on each other. Nothing like that. So <laughs> nothing like that. And that's that's one of the things that's a big, big misconception when it comes to, like, you see clients, defense attorney clients thinking that their attorney is doing a better job because there's an adversarial relationship in their defense attorney and the process. And I have found in my experience that when the prosecutor and the defense relationship, the client is more likely to have a better result because you can actually have conversations and really figure out, you know, how to resolve a case. When it's Definitely. so adversarial and you, and you don't have those conversations, it normally doesn't fare that well for the client because there are discussions that should have been had that don't be had. So I think that that, that misconception you know, it needs to stop. It's, it really doesn't have to be like that. Sometimes it does have to be like that, but yeah. for the most part, it does not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know you, you mentioned earlier that uh, when you were first going to law school and all that, you know, you had uh, two young kids and uh, it's 16 years later. So it seems like they, they're, they're probably older now, at least adults. Uh, do any of them want to follow in mom's footsteps? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not, at not, all. At all. <laughs> not at all not at all not at all uh, not at what, all what are their aspirations zero interest. zero interest my daughter she is more into um entrepreneurship um okay. and uh the healthcare field so her aspiration is to be a registered nurse um and then while working in that process because she's now um just going to college to start that or working in that process she has um like the mid goal of having she already had a a business that dealt with like beauty consulting and sculpting that kind of thing so in the beauty industry and fitness so that's her thing nice. but her ultimate goal is to be our brand and my son he kind of thinks that the path that he really wanted is was to be either a teacher and he did talk about a paralegal for at some point, but more, more, um, structured as far as the teacher is kind of where he kind of settled down to. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, my, my kids are the same way. Uh, you know, I've been a cop as you know as long as they can remember. And uh, my son, he's uh, he's a senior over at uh, UC Riverside, and he's a biology major. He wants to be a geneticist. And my daughter's a sophomore over at Howard, and she wants to get into education. So they they don't want to get into law. So <laughs> law enforcement. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. understandable. Yeah, yeah. Seen, well, you, you know, know, and and their their mom's a, a a psychologist, so you know, oh. we we got that. All right. So hey, hey, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, this has been real fun speaking to a prosecutor about uh, the ins and outs and what you're doing nowadays. But uh, you are not done with the Black Blue podcast. Uh, I told you we got a got a little something here for you. So let me get this set up for you. And this is uh, Black or Blue, Black or Blue. Black or blue, black or blue, black or blue, black or blue. Come on. All right, this is my black or blue game, and your category today is courtroom drama. Courtroom drama, and that means particularly movies and TV shows about legal proceedings. Hopefully, you've seen a couple TV shows and/or and movies about uh, you know law stuff in your day. So I'm gonna uh, give you a description about uh, one of these, and you just kind of tell me what uh tv show or movie that was all right i'll give you some hints along the way if you, if you can't figure that out. all right so you ready yes all right so here we go your first one here this television legal drama centers around a criminal defense lawyer based in atlanta he typically identifies and confronts the perpetrator in a dramatic courtroom scene his goal most often is to prove reasonable doubt of his client's guilt and uh this is the old school show and he is old school can i can i ask you is it black and white or color uh this is color but he got his start in black and white shows that's a good hint for you the actor then i would say matlock that is matlock yes Yes, that show was from 1986 to 1985, so they definitely had color in 1986. But we all know him from the Andy Griffith show, which started out in black and white. All right. Good job there. Here's your second one. Um, a gifted young Florida lawyer is invited to New York City to work for a major firm. As his wife becomes haunted by frightening visions, the lawyer slowly begins to realize the owner of the firm is not what he appears to be. He is actually the devil. Tom Cruise and the firm? Oh, no. I, I gave you a hit there. He is actually the devil, which is devil's oh, advocate. Oh, the devil's advocate. Okay, I've never seen that. Yeah. Okay, but I've heard about yeah. it. Okay. Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino there. Yeah. That's all right. We'll get you back on track here. How about uh, number three? Alicia's husband, Peter, is the former Cook County, Illinois state's attorney. He was jailed following a political corruption and sex scandal. After having spent the 13 year, after having spent 13 years as a stay-at-home mom, Alicia returns to the workforce as a litigator to provide for her two children. This one is a TV show, recent TV show. The opposite of bad is good. Good, good. It's not good guys because that's a different show. No. We'll give it good to you. Good, the good wife. The good wife. Have you I ever heard of that show? The good wife. Okay. Yep. Yep. You probably didn't have much time to watch TV or movies, did you? <laughs> not during 2009 and 
That's all right. That's all right. We get you through this. Uh, the good wife. All right. So you at least heard of that show. Next one is a civil rights advocate and defense lawyer finds himself in a tumultuous series of events that lead to a personal crisis and the necessity for extreme action after his law partner suffers a fatal heart attack, forcing him to work for a larger firm. This is a recent movie starring uh, one of the most handsome brothers of all time. One of the most handsome brothers and iconic actor of all time. You know who that is, right? Denzel. It has to be Denzel. Um, So this movie. I just have not watched enough movies. Um, He's socially awkward in in the picture. He looks really socially awkward. And he has glasses on in the the picture. Um, I don't remember the name of it, though. We'll give it to you. You you know what I'm talking about. Roman J. Israel Esquire. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You don't look like one of the most handsome brothers right there, though. That's That's that acting scope. That's that's character acting right there. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's Roman J. J. Israel Esquire. All right. The next one here, a a biopic of a crusading lawyer who would become the first African-American Supreme Court justice as he battles through one of his career-defining cases. That's Thurgood Marshall, right? That is Thurgood Marshall, yep. Happily named Marshall with uh, Chadwick Boseman. You ever see that movie? I did not. Yeah, okay. You need need to watch more TV and movies. Now that you got a little bit of time. All right. Here we I go. do. Yep. All right. Next one here. A television drama about life in a large Southern California law firm. Large Southern California law firm. The plots were strongly character-based and dealt with the personal lives and professional activities of their partners, associates, and staff. Scenes centered around the courtroom and law offices. Often an episode would, op- would open with a surprising twist, which would then be played out during the rest of the episode. The practice? Uh, no. Trying to give you a hint here. Southern oh, oh. California firm. What's down here in Southern California? LA Biggest Law. City. LA Law. LA Law. LA Law. Yep. Yep. 1986 to 1980, 1994 was that show. All right. Next one here. Um, the exploits of character Alan Shore, formerly from The Practice. And his and his passionate co-workers at the offices of Crane, Poole, and Schmidt, the high-end litigation firm based in a city not loved by Lakers fans, handles both civil and criminal law cases. A city not loved by Lakers fans. Um, Trying to give you a hint there. A city not loved by the Lakers. The Lakers fans. don't like the Pistons, right? No. Or they don't like the Bulls. They don't like Chicago. Chicago Law is there such no, show? They, they don't like. They don't like the Celtics. The Celtics, yes. Boston Law. Boston Law. <laughs> is that Boston it? Legal. Boston Legal. Boston Legal. Yeah. Yeah. William Shatner was in that one. <laughs> Show you that okay, one right okay. up, up close. William Shatner was in there. Uh, who's that? Candace Bergman. I think that was her name. Yeah. All right. We're helping you along here. Two New Yorkers accused of murder in rural Alabama while on their way back to college, calling the help of one of their cousins, a loudmouth lawyer with no trial experience. 
My cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. Go ahead, Stevie Bear. Yep, that was a good move. That was a funny move. Utes. These two Utes. <laughs> Remember that part? All right, next one here. Uh, an unemployed single mother takes a job at a law firm in compensation for loss. While no one takes her seriously with her trashy clothes and earthly manners, that soon changes when she begins to investigate a suspicious real estate case involving the P, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, PG&E. Aaron Brockovich? Aaron Brockovich, yes. In 2000, played by Julia Roberts there. All right. Next one, a sexy, suspense-driven legal thriller about a group of ambitious law students and their brilliant, mysterious criminal defense professor. They become entangled in a murder plot that will shake the entire university and change the course of their lives. Is it a series? It is a series, yes. Murder, um, Viola Davis? Yes. You're on the right track. How to get away How with murder. How to get away yep. with murder, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, a couple more here for you. Uh, an attorney who specializes in defending seemingly indefensible cases. With the aid of his secretary, Della Street, and investigator Paul Drake, he often finds that by digging deeply into the facts, starting uh, facts, uh, startling facts can be revealed. Often relying on his outstanding courtroom skills, he often tracks or traps people into unwittingly admitting their guilt. Now, this one is in black and white television show. This is Perry Mason. This is Perry Mason. Yep. 1957 to 66. All right. Good job. Uh, number 12. When a man with HIV is fired by his law firm because of his condition, he hires a homophobic small-time lawyer as the only willing advocate for wrongful dismissal suit. Tom Hanks, Philadelphia. Yep. That is Philadelphia. Yep. Denzel was in that one as the lawyer. And your last one here, a widowed lawyer in Depression Era, Alabama, defends a black man against an undeserved rape charge and tries to educate his young children against prejudice. Oh my goodness. Movie. Black and white movie. Great book. Everyone had to read this oh. one in school. Yes. Um, You got you. Just give me a word. Give me a word. One, one of my friends. Finch is the name of one of the characters. Hideous or uh -huh. Hideous Finch or something like that. Maybe one um, of the characters. And To Kill a Mockingbird. Remember that? Oh. I might have the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird. That's all right. We got you through. You got more right than you got wrong. So we're going to call you. All I do is win. The winner. <laughs> yeah, we, we got you through that. You, hey, you got a lot of them on your own there, so you, you knew a little bit more than you thought, than you let <laughs> Well, that's good. <laughs> There's something I need to see, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen The Kill a Mockingbird? That, you know, that's one of those. I don't think I have. Yeah, I think we had to read that in, in college or high school. One of, That's one of those books that they make you read. So, yep, yep. I don't think I've ever seen the movie. But, hey, good job on that and good job on, on the show here, though. I appreciate you. Why don't you uh, give us all some words of wisdom on the way out? 
Well, I would say to everyone, first starting off with again, another thank you. I very much appreciate you sharing your time and your platform with me. And the words of wisdom that, that I would say is that because as public servants and particularly that's who I'm gonna to talk to today and it, that takes the form of many different roles, but because uh, we carry so much to really take intentional time to do for yourself what you do for everybody else, because that things to drive that thing that drives you to investigate more cases or to figure out what's happening or to stay up late night to find resources for somebody, that thing needs to be sometimes directed inward and really take an assessment and figure out how you can have a comprehensive wellness program. Because it's such a um, tragedy when we have good officers and good law enforcement burnout early because it's just such a heavy weight. So my thing would be is to be as selfish as you absolutely can. Absolutely. You got to take care of yourself before you take care of others. It's just like uh, when they tell you on the plane, uh, when, when the, uh, when the mask drop down, put yours on first, because if, if you go under, you can't help anyone else out. So put on your mask first, take care of yourself first, and then you can take care of others. Absolutely. All right. All right, Miko. Hey, I appreciate you. Uh, this was this was real fun. And uh, hey, we'll talk soon. All right. All right. Thank you. Have a good rest of your weekend. Yeah, uh, you too. Take care. Bye. Okay. Now that was fire. And that's what we do here on the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank recently retired Fresno County, California Senior Prosecutor Miko Anderson for joining me on today's episode. I really appreciate you, Miko, and wish you continued success with Miko Anderson Consulting and all your other endeavors. If y'all enjoyed this episode too, let me know by leaving a comment down below. And don't forget to like and share this episode while you're at it. I'll be back before you know it with another fire episode just like this one. But till then, hey, say it with me. Stay black and blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. This has been a Maitre D Entertainment presentation.